This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily, and this week we have a guest co-host with us. Kyle is away at, I think, his cousin's wedding. Hope he's having a great time. And so I'm delighted to have with us today Robin Miner-Swartz, who was on Jeopardy a couple of years back, December 23 through 25 of 2019. She is an editor and consultant from East Lansing, Michigan. Hi, Robin. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. We are so delighted that uh, that you could. I'm I'm delighted. We are all delighted. <laughs> I'm delighted too. It's the royal yeah. we. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and I loved watching your games. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of I course. loved playing them. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's pretty great. It pretty is. great playing Jeopardy. <laughs> So, Robin, you were telling me that you have a connection to somebody who was just on Jeopardy this week. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Claire Dozier, who was on, um, the previous Friday's show and, and ran into the, the Matea buzzsaw is the wife of one of the people I competed against. I, w- I was up against her husband, Jason, on my first show. Um, and remembered that he told a really great story about how he and his wife won their wedding. They won a contest, um, for what, for what ultimately became their wedding. And it, he was just a really fun, nice, friendly guy. I enjoyed enjoyed spending time with him in the studio. And then come to find out his wife is going to be on the show too. And so it was really fun to get to root for her. And I, I told Jason that, you know, I was going to root for her a little harder than I rooted for Jason when he played, but it was really great to see her in that venue too. Um, and just so sorry she ran into Matea because she looked like a great player too. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, that's, that's so funny. Although like, I think, uh, kind of people who would want to be Jeopardy contestants. It's not too surprising that <laughs> that two two potential Jeopardy contestants would end up marrying each other. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, that's so funny. And I think both of us have family members who are on the Art Fleming uh, Jeopardy. Uh, my grandfather oh, was. Wow. My, yeah, my mom's dad. He went and recorded but was so unhappy with his performance that he didn't tell anyone oh my that gosh. he'd been on Jeopardy so that nobody could make a point of watching, you know, and it was wow. it was before before VCRs or at least right. you know, before VCRs were wi- widespread. Um but you also have a family member who was uh, on the Art Fleming version of Jeopardy. Yeah, my mom was on. Um, she took the test when she was five months pregnant with me, and she got the telegram from the show inviting her to be a contestant the day after she gave birth to me. My dad brought it to the hospital. They actually wanted her to be on just like a couple of weeks after that, <laughs> and she was able to get in touch and say, can I delay? And so they gave her, I think it was about, um, I can't remember if it was six weeks or six months, but they gave her a, a reprieve and let her come a little bit later. But she yeah. she was on in 1971, and she uh, came in second and won some encyclopedias. <laughs> I think that my grandfather got encyclopedias. Oh, I bet also. he did. I remember the encyclopedias. I, I think I remember that part of the story, and I remember like paging through the encyclopedias at, at my grandparents' house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were touching Jeopardy <laughs> even back then. Yep, yep, that's right. Um, 
I did not check in with you about whether I should ask this about whether anything in particular stands out from your from your memory of your games. I think probably my favorite thing happened in my first game. Um, I one of the categories was called chairman of the boards and it was about um, basketball rebounding. And I'm a huge college basketball fan. Um, my dad played basketball for Michigan state and we we've always had season tickets. And so I was like, Oh, this is my category. And Eric beat me on every single one of them, except the thousand dollar clue and the thousand dollar clue asked about a golden state warrior player who was not named Steph or Kevin. And I buzzed in and I got to say, who is Draymond Green, who is an MSU alum. And I was like over the moon excited. I felt like I had gotten a message from Tom Izzo that I was going to win this game because I had gotten a question about a former Spartan player. So that was the really fun moment I had. That is so fun. And it's so frustrating when you're getting out buzzed mm-hmm. on, <laughs> especially on questions where like you, you, you look at the clue and you're like, oh, yeah, this one's for me. Yep. <laughs> and then, yep. And then, yeah, then somebody else buzzes in. Yep. Like, but that well, was that was supposed to be for me. <laughs> exactly. And actually, I'm now remembering the, the $200 question I did buzz in on and I was so flustered and misread it that I gave a really terrible embarrassing answer that was like couldn't have been more wrong and then I think that probably was in my head for the rest of that category too that's (laughs) I think I called them second chance rebounds as opposed to offensive rebounds Ah, and I was just and I was thinking second chance points I was with you know like more jargony kinds of terms and it was it was very wrong (laughs) oh yep yep I see it now yep yes and those are the ones that haunt us yeah Yes, definitely. I only have the one missed clue from from my Jeopardy game because I probably was not buzzing aggressively enough. Mm. But but it was the Daily Double where I know that if I had sort of zoomed in on the right part of the clue, I could have gotten it, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, but ugh. It haunts you forever. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Anyway, um, we've got we've got some great stuff going on on Jeopardy this week. This is a great week. It's been such a great week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Monday, April 25th, we had the contestants Michael Graff, a mascot from Eastvale, California, Jesse Francis, a mental health therapist from Marietta, Georgia, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 14-day cash winnings at this point total $320,081, which that's a nice chunk of change. You convert that to Canadian, it's even more impressive. Yeah. (laughs) Also, can we take a minute just to bask in the beauty that is being introduced as a mascot on Jeopardy? Like, I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was great. (laughs) That was amazing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and he had like a good little conversation with Ken about it uh, during the, during the interview segment, which for so many of us is like, kind of the most dreaded portion of the <laughs> of the Jeopardy experience. Um, yeah, but it was fun to hear him share about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had the Jeopardy round categories, picture the song, same first and last letter, the Mexican-American War, out in the ocean, musical instruments, and let's play old time private eye. Some of these categories were so interesting. And I always think, what would I think if I saw them? 
mm-hmm. on the stage too. And I probably would have gone right to let's play old time private eye because I feel like the writers have been having a lot of fun with these yeah. kinds of categories. And I thought this was goofy and it, it, it lived up to what my expectations were for it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was a really fun category. I thought Ken's delivery uh, on these clues was fun too. Yeah. He did a nice job with them. Yeah. Although, have you, for a second, have you noticed he's been giving more of an opening monologue in these shows lately? Yes. Yes, I have. How do you feel about that? I I think I kind of like it. What do you think? I'm I'm always surprised because I'm I'm a fan of efficiency and I'm like, well, come on, let's just get to the show. Can we play the game? I want to play the game. And so I, I, I imagine that maybe some of the contestants are feeling that way too. But I also like that it, it makes it more of his own. Um, and, yeah. and Mayim actually has been doing something similar, all those, although hers haven't been quite as long as his have mm-hmm. been. His have seemed quite long lately. And so it's amazing to me that they're making it through all the clues too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that if I were a contestant uh, who stood there through an opening monologue and then, we, and then we missed some clues on the board, I might be yeah. um, a little peeved about yes. it. His opening monologues have been kind of analytical Mm -hmm. you know like they're they're uh they're kind of digging a little bit into kind of the quantitative like uh side or like kind of jeopardy history and you know how matea's run is stacking up against other contestants um it makes it sporty i feel like (laughs) yeah 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 um and it's kind of giving casual viewers access to i mean this is if you're if you're a jeopardy diehard then these kinds of things are things that you already think about and talk about but when i'm talking about jeopardy with people who are just you know kind of casual like put it on in the background while they're you know like cooking dinner Mm-hmm. or whatever um they're like oh i never like really thought about it that deeply oh, oh right. that's interesting you know like and it and he's kind of putting it front and center in, in a way that uh that i think i wonder if it'll change the way people think about it you know and be- be- between that and the jeopard data that they're starting mm-hmm. to include on the website too that really lets you do that more sports style deep dive on the true statistics of the show um, I do think that brings another level of of interest to ways you can follow gameplay. Yeah, definitely. It's been interesting to see the buzzer data, especially, yes. which yes. is something that we've always kind of wondered about. Yep. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun to see. Yeah, I'm I'm envious. I would love to see that for my shows. Yeah, yeah, I would as well. Do you want to take us to the first Daily Double? Yeah, the first Daily Double came in musical instruments at the $400 clue, and uh, it was a video clue, a picture clue. Um, and so it said, seen here, it's often considered the national instrument of Russia. Uh, Jesse was the one who pulled that clue and got that one right with the balalaika and took $1,000 for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Jesse had... Had a thousand, right? Uh, and that's also the maximum. So yes. it, it is both a true daily double and the maximum wager. <laughs> yes. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea had $6,400. Jesse uh, was in the lead with 7000 And Michael was on the board with 600 uh, Double Jeopardy categories for this game were books and authors, who played them, multiple hyphens, main-splaining, and that was M-A-N-E, splaining, 
I'll follow you and to the ends of the earth and was in quotation marks. So all of the clues in that category, all of the answers in that category began with the letter N. This was an interesting mix. Were there any categories that you got excited about? I'm pretty comfortable in literature categories. So that's probably I probably would have headed to books and authors Mm -hmm. first. Um, But I thought mainsplaining was kind of a fun gimmick. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What, What did you think? I liked that one. I would have definitely started with who played them. Um, I always mm, yeah. lean on uh, TV, movies, uh, Broadway, those kinds of categories um, seem to be squarely in my wheelhouse and um, did pretty well in, in this one, as I recall. Actually, all but the, I blanked on, um, they, and it was a triple stumper, the $2,000 clue, uh, the Bada Bing owner, Silvio Dante. I have, fun fact, never watched an episode of The Sopranos. Wow. I can, and it's one of those gaps in my pop culture knowledge where I can generally answer a lot of the trivia questions that are going to pop up about them because they tend to be broad stroke kinds of questions. And so you just get familiar with, you know, who shot JR, even if you've never seen Dallas, you know, that's right. a trivia mm-hmm. question. But this one, I mean, it was the $2,000 clue for a reason. Everybody missed it. Uh, the answer was little Steven Van Zant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have seen, I actually haven't seen all the episodes of The Sopranos, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I got, I, I watched maybe the first, I don't know, couple seasons or something, um, and then uh, at some point sort of lost interest, which I know is, is heresy uh, to some <laughs> folks, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I did not remember the name of the actor at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have gotten a little Stephen answer if it had to do with Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band, but I always forget he was an actor, too. Yeah. Uh, first Daily Double is in To the Ends of the Earth at the $1,600 level, and Matea found it at the 10th pick. Uh, she has 8800 at this point. Uh, she has taken the lead. Jesse's at 6200 Michael's at 2600 And she wagers 4000 and gets the clue. Three of Canada's four Atlantic provinces start with N. Nova Scotia, Newfoundland and Labrador, this one. And she, of course, knows it as a Canadian, uh, that it's New Brunswick. Um, Ken says, I presume you could even tell us the fourth. Um, and she says, yeah, I probably I'd have to think about it for a second. And he supplies Prince Edward Island. Um, and she clarifies that she was, uh, she'd sort of lost track and was trying to think of a fourth province that started with N. Not so the was fourth. I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Jeopardy throws kind of multiple categories or like constraints to keep track of mm-hmm. at me, um, that can really throw me off. I think Kyle and I talked about this a little bit last week that there was a category of things that started with K and then we moved from that to something where the answer was kale. And those, those kinds of, uh, those kinds of um, coincidental overlaps or um, having to think about multiple categories at once can, can kind of throw you for a loop. It absolutely did. Yeah. I I think that that's, it's, it's, Unfortunate when that happens, too, because that's always the thing people on social media glom onto is, oh, mm-hmm. how could you not know? And that that brain freeze is a real thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Ken, Ken, I mean, he's such a he's such a trivia guy that like he just like threw a little extra like bonus trivia question for no money there, <laughs> right. in, there in the middle of the Jeopardy game. which uh, <laughs> Nobody asked for that, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like 61 question, questions wasn't enough. Right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, that third one came, uh, it, it, Matea picked that one up as well. Um, and that was in multiple hyphens. She was at 14,800 at the time. Jesse was at 8,200 and Michael was at 2,200. Uh, and that one asked these four, this four word phrase can mean a fabric colored before weaving or unchanging in opinion. I love this phrase. I was so excited to see it on here and it's dyed in the wool. She bet $4,000 and got that right. Uh, mm-hmm. so that, that bumped her up to, uh, 18,800. And, and at that point looked like she was going to be knocking them down for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see her having uh modified her wagering strategy i mean last week i mean she she crushed it last week first of all yeah but um but also on pretty much every daily double she would say uh oh i'll just bet a thousand i'll just bet two thousand and then immediately afterwards oh i should have bet more yeah um to the point that by the friday you know thursday friday game you know ken was saying now have you learned from your previous mistakes and she's like no i haven't <laughs> so um it seems like she's you know gone home taken a break thought through the the wagering and yeah. has, you know it's like in a mental space now to uh to make some bigger daily double wagers yep yep yeah well and i it, it's fun when you get these champs who are on for a lot of games to really get to watch their gameplay evolve over mm-hmm. the the time that they're on there and so you know because we everybody who's been on whether they've been on for one show or for 40 plus shows has stories about, oh, I wish I'd done this, or if only this had happened. And so you with those who get to stay on longer, you get to see them make those moves. And I think that's pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matea is uh, in a lock position with 27,200. Jesse's at 10,200, which is a very respectable score. I yep. always like to <laughs> mention that, um, you know, when someone's in a lock position uh, and their competitors are in, you know, have have a total that, you know, in in another situation could be the winning score, you know. Right. And uh, Michael's at 5,000. We have the final Jeopardy category names in American history and the clue capable of freighting about 180 tons of cargo. In 1624, it was in disrepair and appraised at a total value of 128 pounds. Michael tried what is old Ironsides. That is not correct. He's wagered 4,900, which drops him down to 100 bucks. Jesse has it correct with what is the Mayflower, and she's wagered 100. Uh, so we'll finish with 10,300 in second place. And Matea has it correct as well with what is the Mayflower and a $5,500 wager, which brings her up to 32,700 and gives her her 15th win. Wow. Yeah. I'm also just, I continue to be in awe of people who play American game shows when they are not from America, from yeah. the US, and do this well. Because, I mean, everybody kind of assumes there's a lot of knowledge back and forth across the border between the U.S. and Canada, but there's a lot of nuance there. And for her at mm-hmm. at her age to be this good at an American game show being Canadian is just, you know, yeah. slow clap. She's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Alex Trebek was very disappointed in how little the Jeopardy contestants as a whole <laughs> knew about <laughs> yep. Canadian geography, history, culture, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, she's got all she's got all the Canadian stuff cold and knows our geography and history 
better than most of us. Right, right. Yeah. It's humbling. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I love watching her play. Mm -hmm. On Tuesday, April 26th, we meet Rhea Sagal, a cultural strategist and performer from Brooklyn, New York. Nikki Smith, a debate instructor from San Francisco, California, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 15-day cash winnings total $352,781. I would like to note how much I loved this episode for what it gave to us in terms of representation. We had Mm. two contestants who use they-them pronouns, and we have a champ who is a lesbian, my wife and I were in heaven watching this show. This was so great to see this kind of representation filling the stage for one episode. I, w- I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I actually missed that we had two contestants who use they, them pronouns. I'm embarrassed to say. Oh, d- um, don't be embarrassed. I mean, it, yeah. well, and, and can use their pronouns, mm-hmm. which was really great. It just it just sailed right on by me, um, <laughs> which uh, I guess is good. I was going to say way, you could but, argue that that could be a good thing. That it's yeah. just it, it's a natural it's a natural use of it, and yep. it, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this uh, yeah, absolutely. And they and they played a great game. They did. This was th- everything about this game was was high energy. It was fun. Um, it it was. I also know that it was polarizing for some folks in the the Twitter verse, but you know, fine that nobody can please everybody. But I just this game in particular, I think, will be one that I will want to watch again and again. It was just so energetic and interesting. Yeah, and, and so we had um, kind of a, a a pretty traditional, I think, in some ways, um, set of categories in the Jeopardy round. We had general knowledge, which I think they've stopped calling potpourri now. The Middle Ages, I learned it in the comic books, Italian cuisine, Let's Talk Science, and Mini-Me with me in quotation marks, so M-E began each response in that category. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I'm going to go to anything where it's, you've got the two letters at the beginning of the category. I want to yeah. glom onto that. I feel like yep. you already are given a certain percentage of information. And so I feel like that should be a big win. How about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, uh, I like those. I like the wordplay categories. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, being given the, the first letter or first two letters um, works. It works pretty well in yeah. my brain. Um, I also I liked that the the mini in the category title did carry through the whole category they weren't just mm-hmm. you know making a you know, um an austin powers reference and leaving it at that everything here yeah. was small that's true because they could have just used it as wordplay at the at the category name level and left it there yeah. i like i like when they carry the category title all the way through yes. um yeah they got a little spooked I think by the uh, I learned it in the comic books category. They had that triple stumper at the two hundred dollar level, yeah, uh, and then headed away from that category, went all the way through the general knowledge category, and only then did they did they try the the comic book category again, and um, had another triple stumper. They had two yeah. in that category. That was a tough category for that mm-hmm. group. Yeah, I w- I was proud of myself for knowing the Daily Bugle because I'm not great with 
uh, like traditional comic books. I read a lot of graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, you know, but like, but newer stuff. I don't really know DC and Marvel especially well. I did not know this one either. Uh, I'm, mm. I'm embarrassed to say because I used to work at a newspaper. And so I usually <laughs> I, I tend to be good at anything adjacent to that. But I this was a complete blank for me. Yeah. And this one, uh, for, for listeners who don't have it off the top of their heads, this was um, a clue about what newspaper Peter Parker worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Rhea tried the New York Times. Nikki tried the New York Post. Uh, but the correct answer was the Daily Bugle. I at least knew it wasn't a real paper, but I mm. I could not have pulled Daily Bugle out of my brain for yeah. any any length of time given for that. I have no earthly idea how I happen to remember that fact, but somehow somehow that one has Just has stuck. Little piece of brain lint. Yep. Daily Double number one is in the Middle Ages category. We get it really early. It's the second pick. And Matea finds it. Um, she's the only one who has correctly answered a question so far. So she's <laughs> the only one with money on the board, and she's got 200 bucks. And she wagers a 1,000, uh, which is the maximum if you're under that, and gets the clue. Now known to historians as the Migration Period, the early Middle Ages were long known by this name, implying ignorance. And she gets that one easily. That's the Dark Ages. I, my brain went the complete other direction and thought Age of Enlightenment, which is absolutely the opposite. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's always better when it happens on your couch. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. (laughs) At the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea's in the lead with 8,000. Rhea has 3,800. Nikki is 400 in the red. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Colonel Knowledge... TV shows by setting, On the Mediterranean, One Big Family, 1870s Literature, and Blank, Blank, and Blank. What do you think you would have headed for here, Robin? Definitely Blank, Blank, and Blank. Yeah. Any, the, the words. That or potentially I might have gone to, well, TV shows by setting would have been incredibly um, irresistible for me as well. Mm, yeah. I thought that was a really fun category. Yes. And it took them a while in this game to get to the first daily double. It, it was halfway through the round when when Matea finally found it, and it was the uh, sixteen hundred dollar question in blank, blank, and blank. Um, and and she was at eighteen hundred. Excuse me, eighteen thousand eight hundred. Uh, Nikki was at negative twenty four hundred, and Rhea was at forty two hundred. And the clue was these items were told, closed, and extinguished in an old Catholic cemetery. And this one, I, we were laughing so hard at the way Matea answered this because <laughs> so it, it was it was the most real response. She said, "Uh, what are I don't remember the name, but the things that they use to swing around the incense around in." And Ken's laughing at her and says, "No, I'm sorry, I would have prompted because I'm interested in hearing more." Uh, but no, you, you toll the bell, you close the book, you extinguish the candle. So toll, mm-hmm. close, extinguish, um, or excuse me, bell, book, and candle. Um, were the correct answer. And she said, ah, I see it's three separate things. So she lost yeah. 4000 on that one. How would you have done with that one? Oh, I'm not sure I would have gotten there. Um, I know the phrase bell, book and candle, but I don't mm-hmm. actually know their like liturgical significance. Um, and so I think once I heard Ken say it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I've, you know, I've heard that phrase, but right. I'm, I'm like, googling it now to see what it is that 
Oh, um, there's, there's like so much other bell book and candle stuff, like novels and films that like, I am, I am not easily finding kind of like the, like the, like the ecclesiastical significance of bell book and candle. I I don't think that I would have gotten it. This reads to me like one of those clues where if any one of us had simply seen it written and didn't have a timed response that we had to give immediately, probably mm-hmm. could have reasoned through it in 30 seconds. Yeah. Be- because when you when you just stop and, and absorb, told, closed, extinguished these items, okay, what would those be? But in that moment, especially in that daily double moment, I mean, even as seasoned as Matea is at this point, I can see that just being like, I don't know what is happening yeah, in what this you, clue. What, what is an object you could toll, close, and yes. extinguish, yep. right? Yes. Um, and I think I think a sensor, which is what you call the thing she's referring to that you swing incense around <laughs> in, uh, sensor, C-E-N-S-E-R. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I'm not sure how you toll it, but... Right. But Maybe she was thinking you fits. swing it like yeah. like a bell or something. <laughs> yeah, i i can I can see where she was, you know, where where she was uh, making the connections. Yeah, um, yeah. It was genuinely an entertaining moment, though. I'm sorry she lost four thousand dollars, but it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a very good moment, um, and it turned out okay for her in the it end. Did, so, yes, <laughs> uh, I hope she doesn't mind us uh, enjoying it. Right. Uh, Daily double number three is in the one big family category at the $1,200 level. And Matea finds this one as well at the 25th pick. And at this point, she has 21,200. Uh, Rhea is at 5,000 and Nikki is at negative 2,000 at this point, a little higher mm-hmm. than last time. She wagers 2,000 and gets the clue This performing family toured the United States in the 1940s, then settled on a Vermont farm. And there's a picture. Mm -hmm. And she, I thought she sounded like she was guessing, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, But she does get it right. It's the Von Trapps. Yep. The very last clue is what I also loved. I mean, if we thought that Daily Double about Bell Book and Candle was entertaining, the very last clue of the game uh, in the TV shows by setting category was the $1,600 clue in the 70s and 80s Ewing Oil, um, which it's funny, I mentioned uh, Who Shot JR earlier. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was an instigate for Dallas. But Nikki, who was in the negative at that point, got that right, but was still in the negative. They ended the game with $800. But as soon as they were ruled correct, started yelling, bump it up, bump it up, like yeah. just begging for the score to be enough to take them to final jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was so fun. It was so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Oh. I would have loved for them to be able to be on stage for Final Jeopardy. Yes. Yeah, was, yeah. So would they, spoiler alert. Yeah. So our scores at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Matea has $23,200 and a lock game. Nikki, unfortunately, as we just noted, uh, did not make it to final. They had negative 800. Rhea did make it to final with $5,000. And the Final Jeopardy category was African Surnames. And the clue is Adeto Kunbo, the crown has returned from overseas, is fitting for the Adeto Kunbo family who left Nigeria for this country in 1991. 
So I know I said earlier that I was a huge basketball fan, but I did note that I was a college basketball fan. I absolutely blanked on this, and so did one of the two contestants. Uh, so Rhea said, what is Greece, uh, which was incorrect. Ken told them that that's the family and the original surname of NBA star Giannis Adetokounmpo. I'm sorry, yeah. they were right with Greece. Matea was wrong with the United Kingdom. Rhea added $4,900 to their score and ended the game with 9900 um, and Matea wagered seven thousand uh, dollars and ended the game with sixteen thousand two hundred. So, as as Ken freely admitted at this point, this was basically a sports question, but it was yeah. framed as African surnames, um, and so that brought Matea's sixteen day total to three hundred and sixty eight thousand nine hundred and eighty one dollars, and she's rolling. Yeah, presenting the category as African surnames, and then having it'd be basically a sports question feels a little bait and switchy to me. I agree. I, I, I mean, that's I get grouchy about sports questions. So well, I get grouchy about anything that's going to change how I might choose to wager too. I, I mean, I know that, that they're obviously not going to tip their hand on everything um, mm-hmm. with a category name, but, but yes, bait and switch does feel legit for this. Yeah. one. Yeah. Because you don't need to actually like know really like no no amount of african surname knowledge is really going to help you that much if no. you don't know basketball well and in fact they even tell you where the country of origin is for that right. name so mm-hmm. it's not even like all of the information about it being an african surname is in the clue mm-hmm. and the response you're giving has nothing to do with that right. so it's it's frustrating yeah if yeah. it had been a competitive final Jeopardy, I would have been real mad on behalf of probably one or more of the contestants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Christina Clark, an elementary music teacher from De Pere, Wisconsin, Ben Shia, an R&D engineer from Fremont, California, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 16-day cash winnings at this point total $368,981. We had the Jeopardy round categories, a novel look at the novel, finish the old proverb, the league MVP's team, getting a BA in botany, all correct responses will begin with BA, which comes first, and the chicken or the egg? Boy, I would have been not sure even where to start with this category. I would probably lean on finish the old proverb. Would you go yeah. to the novel, look at the novel? I might, um, maybe BA in botany. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at science like a scientist. Um, <laughs> Same. But, <laughs> but I'm good at like trivia level science. Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, plants that start with BA, that, that's up my alley. Um, <laughs> and I think that I knew almost all of these. Banyan didn't come to me. And for some reason, I was thinking Baobab mm. uh, for the, the trees that have roots that descend from branches. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but Banyan is the, is the correct one there. But yeah, we, they had bamboo and balsa and baby's breath. It was, I thought that was a fun category. And then yeah. the novel look at the novel was, I thought, a very enjoyable gimmick. They were trying to uh, summarize the novels in ways that were, you know, novel, uncharacteristic of how you might normally uh, summarize those plots. They sounded like tweets to me. 
Yeah. I particularly liked the $400 clue. A young girl blows into town and kills a woman, does poppies to the point of unconsciousness, and later kills a second woman before leaving. Mm-hmm. And the response being The Wizard of Oz. I think that's yes. a, just a fantastic description <laughs> of that book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that one as well. And so we didn't get the Daily Double until the very last clue in the Jeopardy round, yeah, um, which it just doesn't seem to happen very much anymore. So it's always mm-hmm. kind of exciting when it does. And so it was the $1,000 clue in which comes first, and Matea pulled that. She was at $8,000. Ben was at $2,400, and Christina was at 4000 And the clue said, the first law of this says that the total energy of a system plus its surroundings is conserved. Matea bet $2,000 on this, and there was a lot of sighing as she was trying to answer it. And she said, uh, what is the law of the conservation of mass? I don't know. And Ken said, I bet our laser engineer was chomping at the bit to get that clue. The response was the first law of thermodynamics. So she Mm -hmm. lost $2,000 on that clue. Um, good thing she didn't go 4000 this time and ended the Jeopardy round uh, with $5,000. I'm sorry, with $6,000. Uh, ben was in third place with 2400 and Christina was in the middle at $4,000. Mm-hmm. The Double Jeopardy round gave us Architects, Mountains and Hills, Miscellany, Celebrity Memoirs, the ancient world, and an anatomy of words. Each response was the part of a body. I love these kinds of categories. That yeah. that would have been my go-to. That are celebrity memoirs. Celebrity memoirs, I think, would have spooked me a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, things like miscellany spook me because who knows what is going on in that <laughs> yes, category. <laughs> yeah. I've always sort of wondered with those like miscellany or potpourri or hodgepodge, uh-huh. I, I always wonder whether they have actually written a category of miscellaneous clues or if it's just leftovers from uh, unrevealed clues from previous games or, you know, categories that didn't quite work out maybe, or, you know. For as much as I love a good internet deep dive, I have never tried to find that out, but I have always assumed it was leftover stuff. Yeah. I, I suppose that if somebody really wanted to dig in, they could go looking for what categories and dollar levels went unrevealed and try and try and match it up yeah that's true and you can see even the contestants didn't want to go there that was the very last category standing Mm -hmm. in its fully complete form yep ben went on a little bit of a run in the beginning of this round yes um and uh managed to take the lead away from matea which doesn't happen much. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it does not really happen a whole lot. And he's the one who finds that second daily double in the mountains and hills category at the $1200 level at the fifth pick. At this point he's got 8800 and Mateus at 6000 uh, and Christina's still in the game with 4000. He wagers 4000 and gets the clue mountain ranges with this snowy name can be found both in California and southeastern Spain. And he gets that one correct with the Sierra Nevada. Uh, Nevada is uh, snowy, or it's connected to the etymologically related to the word for snow. I did not know that. I also did not know that there was a Sierra Nevada range in both California and Spain. So I learned so much on that clue. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I did not remember the mountain range in Spain. But yeah, and, and yes, I, I, I fact checked myself because I, I, uh, <laughs> I hate saying things on the podcast and then and then uh, wondering if I'm misremembering. But yeah, Nevada is is snowy. Yeah, and yeah. Ben apparently knew all those things. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> I do have to say my Gen X heart broke into a million pieces when they called in the celebrity memoirs category, the $1,600 clue, um, which was Brat is the aptly titled memoir of this member of the 80s Brat Pack scene here. And there was a beautiful picture on screen and not a one of them knew it was Andrew McCarthy. Mm, yeah. All too young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the Brat Pack especially well. <laughs> yep. I do live in the same town as Molly Ringwald. However. Do you really? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. So um, you know at least one of them then. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Matea had yet another entertaining moment with the third daily double of the game. She, uh, in the anatomy of words category at the $1,600 level, at that point in the game, she had $15,600 and was slightly ahead of Ben, who had $14,400, and Christina had $7,200. And again, an, a, the anatomy of words, uh, so the, the response is going to be a word that is also a body part, and she wagers $8,000, and the clue is to gently tease another person. However, before she gets the clue, she does a really great setup for her thinking on her wagering. She says... Okay, you know what? If I wager a lot and lose today, like, whatever. I had such a good run, so let's try and do, like, honestly, $8,000. So Ken is super <laughs> wowed by that. Again, I just love we're seeing the inside of her brain again. <laughs> the, the let's try and do, like, honestly, right. $8,000. It just killed me. It was so cute. I loved it. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, wow, okay, a big wager. So this, I think this might be her biggest wager. I At least so, yeah. close. Yeah. And uh, so again, to gently tease another person and she says, oh, okay, well, I should have majored, wagered more. What is rip? So mm -hmm. she definitely knew that one, uh, which was a great get and, uh, and added $8,000 to her score, taking her up to 23,600. So pretty good move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we had this great, um, this great moment at, uh, at clue number 30, um, uh, at the $2,000 level of miscellany, the clue is, that's no humpback whale you're hearing. It's the singing dog breed in Papua on the western side of this in Indonesia. Uh, and um, Matea rings in and gets New Guinea. That takes her to exactly 27200 And then she she says, oh, my God, because she's just <laughs> looked at the scores and done the math. So... She's at 27,200. Ben is at 13,600, uh, which is exactly half of her score. Ugh. And Christina's at 8,400. And uh, this is what's known as a lock tie game um, in uh, Jeopardy nerd parlance. I mean, we've covered this on the podcast before, but Ben's correct move here is to go all in. Yes. Um, that is the that is the correct thing to do for the player in second position. And then the player in the lead has two options here. Um, one is that they can bet something, a dollar, mm -hmm. um, more if they want. But, you know, off often people will keep it to just a dollar. And then if you get it correct, 
you're untouchable. Right. The other option is to bet nothing, which will keep you at exactly twice the second place contestant's score. Um, and then if they get it correct, and they knew that they needed to bet everything. Right. Then you go to a tiebreaker. But you certainly will not lose on the final Jeopardy question because you can't, right? Right. Um, what do you think you would do in this situation? Oh, do you, do I, you bet the dollar or do you, <laughs> do you take it to the – potentially take it to the tiebreaker? I think I bet the dollar. I, yeah. I, I think so. I Because the amount of time you have to, to take in the clue and, and come up with your response, you have so much more time to get your wits about you in the space of that time. I don't know. I mean, it also depends on how well I thought I had been doing on the buzzer during the game. But I – I get in such panic mode during betting for Final Jeopardy. I mm-hmm. I am not a strong math person, and I have anxiety around the fact in my third game where it was um it, it, I was it was not a lock game, but I took so long to do my math. I remember hearing contestant coordinators over my shoulder say, "Hey, are we ready?" And someone else said, "No, she's still doing math." And so <laughs> I get so paralyzed when I watch this happen to people that I have no idea. Um, <laughs> all I can say from a fan perspective is, I wish um, I a little bit wish it had gone to a tie because Matea then would have had, you know, she's she had one final Jeopardy where she was the only contestant left on the stage, um, and then she could have also had a tie situation. And and if we had seen her win that, she would have been like checking off all of the things you could do on Jeopardy that are memorable and interesting. What would you have done? I would wager the dollar. I I will say um, there are people who are like, you know, wager the dollar purists, like always wager the dollar. Uh Uh-huh. I'm a look at the category, but then probably wager the dollar person, right? If I look at the category and it's, you know, it's sports Mm -hmm. or what else am I really weak in? I don't know, like, pop music of the 1960s or like uh-huh. i don't know if it's something where i look at it and i'm like oh that that is probably not going to be for me i mean even though most final jeopardy clues even if they're in a category that you don't know that well will be accessible to a general audience mm-hmm. it's almost never something that is truly obscure you know it's usually an a little known fact about a well-known thing mm-hmm. um but but still, like if it's if it's a category where I look at it and, and I think, wow, that is really not my category, um, then maybe from first uh, from first place I might make a zero wager. Yeah. But in most cases, I would wager the dollar, and in this case, the category is poets, so I would definitely wager yeah. the dollar <laughs> in this situation. So they get the category poets and the clue. In 1939, he was buried near his last residence in France. But his body arrived in Galway en route to final burial on September 17, 1948. Kyle and I have actually uh, talked about this mix-up, which Christina makes in this mm-hmm. case. She writes, who is Keats? K-E-A-T-S. Instead of Yates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, ugh. It's, that is a really common mix. Yep. Yeah, that's, that, that's, ugh. It's, it's hard to get those two straightened out they are different poetically but like you know uk poet blank eats mm-hmm. it, it can be really hard to yeah. to kind of keep them um kind of correct in your brain right yep. and so 
Um, so it's not Keats. Uh, she's wagered 5,300 and drops to 3,100. Ben has it correct with who is Yates. And he did make that um, that all in wager, 13,600 to bring him up to 27,200. But Matea has written who is Yates as well. Um, and she wagered the dollar. Yep. So if she'd chosen to do the zero wager, we'd be headed to a tiebreaker. But she made, she wagered the dollar. And uh, so that gives her the win outright. 17 days, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so good. Uh, so the Thursday game on April 28th, we meet Manab Jane, an undergrad student from Clemson, South Carolina, Renee Russell, a branch office administrator from Baltimore, Maryland, and Matea Roach, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, whose 17-day cash winnings total $396,182. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm still just in awe. <laughs> so for categories in the Jeopardy round, we have Old York, Movies, exclamation point, and the exclamation point is in quotation marks, so each of the titles uh, contain an exclamation point. Poets and Poetry, Iron, Landmarks, and Rhymes with These. This is a fun board. Yeah. I liked this one a lot. Uh, are you going to poets and poetry here? Uh probably. Um, I like I like the movies with an exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some reason, like when when um when there is uh punctuation in the title of a, a movie, um or I guess or other things, mm-hmm. too, novels, whatever. Um, that that does stick with me, and so I, I did. Um, I don't always do super well on movie categories, but I but I knew most of these. Well, this is like a version of what we were talking about earlier when they give you the letters that are a part of a clue, yeah. too. I think this really uh-huh. does tip you in the in that same way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's got that same kind of, you know, um, like word nerd, like yeah. <laughs> vis- visual memory kind of aspect to it. Yeah. And it yeah. was a good selection of, of eras that they went across in this category, too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. everything from the $1,000 clue about Oliver from 1968 to, you know, more recent Mamma Mia and and a lot of 80s. Like, it really, it almost hit, well, there weren't 70s, but there were a lot of just like decade, decade, decade mm-hmm. kind of in a row, which was really fun. Yeah. The Poets and Poetry category had a clue about Edna St. Vincent Millay. Yeah, which uh, Morgan Bryles did a deep dive on. She did. She talked about Edna St. Vincent Millay. When oh, she, yeah. Um, when she was on the on our podcast nice. a while back. Yeah. So um, I think I probably would have known without hearing from Morgan about Edna St. Vincent Millay's life, that it was the candle that burns at both ends. Yes. But uh but it was nice to nice to remember that particular deep dive, which um, listeners can find in the back catalog. Daily Double number one is in the iron category at the $600 level. We don't see it until the 27th pick. Renee finds this one. She's at $2,400 to Matea's $8,600 and Manov's $3,000. And she wagers $2,000 and gets the clue at about 1,000 feet. It was the tallest iron structure in the world when it was completed in 1889. And she gets that one correct. Uh, it's the Eiffel Tower. For me, that was an instigate just based on the year. Yeah. But it would be hard to know what to guess. I honestly think a $600 daily double is harder to calculate the how difficult the clue is going to be and, and come up with a bet for that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, was, yeah, I was glad to see her get that. It's, yeah. It felt easy to me, but again, like, you know, everything feels easy if you know it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea has the lead with 9,800. Renee's at 5,200. Manav is at 3,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, philosophy, celebrity sibling surnames, double double letter words, North America, catching you short, and ballet and opera. Anything especially stand out to you here? I, I, I would have gone to double, double letter words. I, yeah. I had a celebrity couples category in one of my games and I got real excited when I saw it and somebody else started calling clues from it. And I immediately was like, oh, no, 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 no. I, this is not in my wheelhouse. So I, th- so I, I think it, I tend to assume it's going to lean toward more current celebs when they say celebrity. But yeah. with, with siblings, there might have been and there were there were more ways in to this category Mm -hmm. than there were with the celebrity couples one so i probably would have gone with double double letter words how about you yeah i like that i like that double double letter words category and ballet and opera it's it's not again like science it's not that i'm objectively uh (laughs) well informed about them but in terms of like the little bits you're supposed to know for trivia i think i probably am uh above average so i've I've tried to i've tried to teach myself not to shy away from those yep yeah these contestants did not want to go there no Uh, (laughs) saved it for the end (laughs) they left that one for the end yep but they did find the first daily double early uh it was the fifth clue called in in double jeopardy and this was in the philosophy category uh matea called that sixteen hundred dollar clue and she had 12,200 on the board at that point. Renee had 5,200 and Manav had 2,200. She bet just $2,000 on this one. And the clue was, it's the philosophical study of art and of the judgments of art and beauty. And she correctly uh, guessed what is aesthetics. And I sat on my couch and said, I had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How did you do on that one? Um, The word ethics popped into my head and then I knew it was wrong and I think I would have gotten to aesthetics in time. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I definitely had it. I did not have it as fast as Matea had it. Yeah. It, it's one of those clues where the answer, the, the, the response is given and I don't know it and... <laughs> My wife makes fun of me because I go, oh, yeah, sure. Because like, mm-hmm. like I hear it and I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. That's what that should be. And that's mm-hmm. the, this is definitely an oh, yeah, sure clue. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number three is at the $400 level of ballet and opera. Uh, Renee is the one who's stuck heading to that ballet and opera category when there's nothing <laughs> left on the board. So she's the one who has to, has to take that last Daily <laughs> Double or gets to uh, at the 26th pick. She has 16,000 uh, to Matea's 20,600 and Manov's 600. And she hesitated about her wager. And, you know, she's, I, I can't remember her exact words, you know, but she like, she looked at the categories and was, or looked at the, looked at the scores and was like, oh, well, th- this is interesting because it's ballet and opera. But, you know, I think I have to make it 5,000 or, you know, she said something yeah. along those lines. And then she got the clue, my Verona, <laughs> on February 9th, 1965, Nureyev and Fontaine danced this ever-doomed couple in London. And she saw Verona and 
ever doomed couple and knew that it was Romeo and Juliet. So that $5,000 wager pays off. It's always so exciting when the Daily Double shows up in that least expensive (laughs) at the $400 clue. uh I'm fascinated when that happens. Because honestly, I think sometimes it's that first clue in a category that trips everybody up. We see a lot of Mm -hmm. triple stumpers there because at least for for me, I know I have to kind of get my brain set on that first clue to see, okay, this is the direction the category is going in. And so Mm -hmm. you feel like you can miss that level and not miss a lot because it's only the 200 or the 400. But for it to be the daily double, that can be a little scary, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it should be a relatively easy clue within the category. So maybe you want to wager high, but not having gotten a chance to see any of those clues. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can be a, it can be a little intimidating. And I'm looking just at the catching you short category and Matea missed the $400 uh, clue in that category because it was the first in the category and she hadn't remembered that, okay, the category has the word short in it. And so the answer probably had to have the word short Mm -hmm. in it too. Yeah. So at the end of double jeopardy, we've got ourselves a game. Matea has $22,600. Renee is right on her heels with 21,000 and Manav has $600. So I always feel like someone in Manav's position can be a spoiler in this. This is a, Mm -hmm. everybody's in it for this. And the category is books of the 1970s. The clue is aptly members of a black family in this novel have biblical names, pilot, Hagar, and the title one, an ancestor of the protagonist. Uh, And so Manav wagers $100 and does not come up with a response. Renee wagered $19,799 and said, what is Roots, which was incorrect. And Matea wagered 19401 and got the correct response, what is Song of Solomon? And so she wind up she winds up winning the game with $42,001. Renee leaves with uh, 1201 and Manav finished the game with 500 You mm-hmm. just did a deep dive on Song of Solomon, so, didn't you? Yes but, <laughs> yes, but the book of the Bible, not yes, the Toni Morrison novel. Not the Toni Morrison novel. But uh, yeah. I did ask a, cl- ask a quiz question about the Toni Morrison novel. But I yeah, chuckled when I saw that. Coincidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like you were very prescient. Yeah. Um, I I also, my brain went right to roots and I knew it didn't fit. And it took me a minute to figure out like, oh, <laughs> they really are asking about Song of Solomon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so in, in Solomon Dead is the ancestor of Milkman Dead in the in Toni Morrison's novel, and so that's mm-hmm. where the title comes from for this book. So that takes Matea to 18-day champ, which is just still incredibly impressive. She's got a total now of $438,183, which I think in this game Ken noted that it was a very strange end-of-number total because she's had kind of strange number combinations coming through. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so on Friday, uh, we have the contestants Terry Huggins, an associate director of admissions from New York, New York, Julian Glander, an animator from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Such that's oh, that's so great. Great job, Mateo title. Roach. <laughs> yeah, a tutor from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, um, who, as we just noted, has eighteen days of winning 18, 18 wins and four hundred thirty eight thousand one hundred eighty three dollars and we have the jeopardy round categories states most populous cities sitcoms 
newspapers and magazines, the language of sport, the atmosphere, and weights and measures. Is the language of sport where you would head? No, I'd go newspapers and magazines for this or sitcoms. Um, honestly, I like this board a lot. Yeah, this is a good board this for you. Is, yeah, this is this is fun categories and, and weights and measures being W-A-I-T-S. Oh, right, I, would I think have that, highlighted that. Well, and, and I would yeah. think that for that reason, it would be kind of a word play or something like that that would, because if it had been truly weights and measures, I would have run for the hills probably. Mm-hmm. But how about yeah. you? Where would you start with this bunch? Oh, where would I start? I, I might head for I might head for weights and measures. Mm-hmm. Although this is another one where the two hundred dollar clue was a triple stumper. Yes, uh, yeah, one U.S. beer barrel contains thirty one of these units. That's nearly four thousand delicious ounces, and uh, nobody nobody got it. It was gallons. My brain was not doing the math that fast. I, I timed out <laughs> trying to divide 4,000 by 31. Yes. Um, yeah. I I thought it might be gallons, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I also, there was a part of my brain that was saying pints, and I was like, mm, uh, that's what I've, I said. I've got to do some division before yep. I know which one. Yep. Um, yeah. But that's always interesting to see when that happens. But I, I, I feel like it's okay. It was just the $200 clue. You're fine. Mm-hmm. But they did get to the Daily Double in that category. It came up as the 11th uh, clue of the round. And uh, it was Julian who pulled that. And he was at $2,000 at that point. Matea had $1,200 and Terry had $800. He wagered the full $2,000 that he had. And the clue was this name for a type of ounce used to measure gold comes from a city in medieval France, not ancient Turkey. And Julian, who sighed, giving his response, said, what is bullion, uh, which was incorrect. The correct response was the Troy ounce. Mm-hmm. So he drops to zero. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a good guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, as I was reading it, I thought, gosh, I for some reason don't associate Troy with either France or Turkey, but right. bullion I would associate with France, so I, I can see how he got there. Yeah, I... Troy is in Turkey. I, I'm not sure that I would have would have made that connection ever. No, you know? nope. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I, I did. I did get to Troy ounce on that. But I, I felt for him losing all mm-hmm. two thousand at that spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was the right wager. It was, it was absolutely. Yeah, it was the it was the right thing to do. But ugh. Yeah. Um, yeah. The sitcoms category was a fun one. That was a a nice ride through a bunch of eras in that, in that category as well. Um, and another example for me of, I have never seen girls five Eva, but I knew the names of the, the actors who they mentioned who were a part of it, Sarah Bareilles and Renee Elise Goldsberry. So I love when you can pull pop culture trivia, even if you haven't sat through the content and can turn it, convert it into a, a response. Mm hmm. Yeah, I had I had not actually heard of that show. Um, and I, I feel like I feel like, um, you know, like an old man shouting get off my lawn. But like the, <laughs> the proliferation of streaming services yes. <laughs> is driving me crazy. Yeah, it's overwhelming. There was there was one and that was that was great. You know, that like the the innovation of the streaming service as a thing. But uh, I'm very <laughs> overwhelmed by that. Yeah how many streaming services I'm supposed to be keeping track of at this point. I think it's 12. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's ugh. It's a lot. Um, yeah, it's a lot. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matea uh, is not in the lead with $3,400. Julian is in the lead with $4,200. And Terry has $1,200 uh, to start the double Jeopardy round, uh, picking first from politicians in their school days, entertainment awards, fun with cooking terms, the 18th century, felines in fiction, and middle P, the letter P is the exact middle of each response for that category. Mm-hmm. So where's where's your fun oh, start? I, I like fun with cooking terms. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they they got they all did fine with this. Yeah, uh, all of these got uh, answered correctly on the first try, um, and all three contestants got uh, got correct answers in this in this category. I like to see that. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but Terry made it back into the positive on the 30th clue at the $2,000 level in this category, which was good to see. Yes, we were cheering for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I really, I like that when someone is in the red and makes it out of the red just before Final Jeopardy, the other contestants are always so obviously visibly happy for them, um, which... If it were like purely a self-interest thing, you would want both other contestants to finish in the red. Right. You know? like, exactly. <laughs> you, you would. You wouldn't. You know, like you would. You would. Uh, you would not be happy that that there was another contestant on stage for final jeopardy. Right. But uh, but I, I I like to see um, I like to see how how pleased they are when somebody makes it out of the red and is able to participate. Yeah, Matea um, and Julian were applauding. I thought that was great. Yeah. And I'm sure Terry thought it was really great. <laughs> the, the felines in fiction category I thought was great as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was a fun category. Yeah. We had um, Alice in Wonderland here, which my daughter still thinks is called Allison in Wonderland. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's, yeah, because, you know, that those words get kind of elided and she knows that Allison is a name. That um, makes sense. Beatrix, Beatrix <laughs> Potter was in there. I did a deep dive on her way back. Um, and some Winnie the Pooh. It was a, it was a good and yeah, old Possum's Book of Practical Hands. Oh yeah, some, some Robert Heinlein, which I did not know, but Julian knew cold. So yeah, I was good I, for him. He said that out loud, and I was like, that is the first time I have heard that title. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Um, I was happy to see entertainment awards. Um, I'm I. I from my journalism days was a huge awards show junkie. Um, I did not run this category. I, I too, like the contestants was stumped by at the 2019 people's choice awards. The competition contestant winner was Hannah Brown, the title personage of this TV show, which is the bachelorette. I did not know you could win an award for being the bachelorette. So I was very, I like my brain couldn't put those two things together. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was stumped by that. Yeah. Like now that I can stop and digest those words in the clue, then I would be like, oh, you mean like so somebody on Survivor could have won a People's Choice Award or like somebody on who knows what RuPaul's Drag Race, anything. Right. Um, But I I never would have put that together. Yeah, I'm I'm still I am still getting my brain around. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I mean, I thought for any of us, yeah. the award was getting to be on whatever show we wanted to be on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although, honestly, being the Bachelorette sounds 
miserable. Not my cup of tea <laughs> at maybe, all. Maybe less miserable than being a contestant, you know, female contestant on The Bachelor or whatever. You know, right. like I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather be the one, the, right. the, the one than one of the crowd. Yes. Thing, but oh, <laughs> no thank you to all of that. Right, right. Yeah. Daily Double number two uh, is in the 18th century category. And uh, Matea found it pretty early at the fourth pick. Uh, it's at the $1,200 level. Um, she had 5800 at this point. She was in the lead with Julian at 4200 and Terry at 1200 Pretty balanced. I mean, you know, it's not it's not close to a runaway at this point. Um, she wagers 2000 and gets the clue the two dynasties vying for power in the War of the Spanish Succession were the Habsburgs and this French one. And she gets it correct with the Bourbons, Bourbons, I don't know how that, yeah, the Bourbons. Bourbons. <laughs> yeah. I feel like bourbon, you know, like the right. whiskey came came up this week also. It, I think which, it did. I think yeah. it did. Maybe it was in the, um, like the private eye May, yes yes like it was yeah. yes somebody was drinking it in that category yeah Good memory yeah i like when that happens <laughs> yes so they got to the first daily double pretty early in the round and they didn't get to the second one until a, a good bit later it was the 24th spot um and in the middle p category the the two thousand dollar clue uh was where that was hiding and matea pulled that one as well at that point she had seventeen thousand eight hundred dollars Julian had 8,600 and Terry was at negative 2,000 again quite late in the game uh, and Matea wagered $4,000 and again with middle P being the clue uh, the category the clue was two linked lines of verse and Matea said um I think I, oh this is for her betting sorry um I think I've been doing okay when I've had time to think so maybe let's do $4,000 and then said Anna Pest for her answer which was incorrect uh uh, the correct response was a couplet. And I thought Annapest was an impressive incorrect answer. I did too. Because the P is in the middle also. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there was a lot about it. Yeah. That- um, yeah. And Annapest is a, um, I just looked it up, a metrical foot consisting of two short or unstressed syllables followed by one long or stressed syllable. Um, my version, my answer to this, my response to this was to cram together the words iambic pentameter <laughs> and hope that the P was in the middle, <laughs> oh. which it is not. Spoiler not, alert. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> no. um, yeah. <laughs> So as you referenced earlier, Terry, by the skin of her teeth, got got onto the plus side uh, with that last clue. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Matea had $17,000, Julian had 11000 and Terry was on the board and in the game with $800. And the final jeopardy category was musical inspirations. And I am going, I, you know, when I took French... I had a decent accent and could navigate this stuff fairly well. That has fallen away. So is this Tuileries? Oh, Tuileries. Tuileries, that's right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the clue was Tuileries and the Great Gate of Kiev were two of the artworks that inspired this classical work completed in 1874. Uh, and Terry wagered $799 but did not come up with a response. Julian wagered six thousand one hundred. Excuse me, six thousand one dollar, and his response was, "What is Swan Lake?" Which was 
not correct. And Matea correctly guessed what is pictures at an exhibition. Uh, and she added $5,001 to her total, which took her to $22,001 for the night. Uh, Ken points out that yes, the Mazgorski Mazorski piano suite uh, inspired, was inspired by his visit to an art show, and that is where the title Pictures in an Exhibition came from. So Matea ended the game with $22,001. Julian ended with 4999 and Terry had that $1 left on the board. So Matea ended the week a 19-day champion with $460,184. Yeah, it's been a great run so far. Incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. Um. And I, I kind of, I'm thinking about um, uh, when she made that big uh, daily double wager and said, you know what, it's been a great run. And, you know, <laughs> yes, uh, like, I feel like she's, she's, um, I don't know, it's, it, it's nice to see her process and also like just see her get enough space that she can kind of reflect back even as she's continuing to, uh, to win game after game. It's like she's managing her own expectations. Yeah. It's it's yeah. like I feel like she's been one of the most healthy players we've ever seen, <laughs> and, and again because we're getting to see her over a series of days, and so we're seeing yeah. a lot of this unfold, um, and so it just it feels really everything about her feels really positive. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is a uh, the moment in the episode before the deep dive. I think we're we're gonna forego the quiz i think okay. this week um but we we generally uh take a moment at this point before the deep dive um to remind listeners that we have a patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and uh if anybody has a, a couple bucks a month that they want to put toward helping us with the uh the hosting costs and such for the podcast um we aspire someday to uh have a professional sound editor as well um you know if the if the patreon grows uh so if you if you have some funds to put toward that we would welcome that and we'd like to thank those who are uh helping us to um uh not take a financial hit on making this podcast um (laughs) we also take a moment at this point to um remember there are more important things in the world than our podcast much as we love it um and a few that matter especially to us you can find at blacklivesmatter.com communityjusticeexchange.org the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe uh, and Rescue.org. You can find links to those in our show notes. Um, and Robin, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Is there anything that you would that you would want to um, add? Any uh, causes that you would you would want to highlight at this point? Well, yours are all phenomenal, and and I I appreciate the inclusion of all of those, and I also appreciate the opportunity to mention one that's close to my heart, which is the Firecracker Foundation. Um, this is a Lansing, Michigan based nonprofit that um, uh, it is the firecrackerfoundation.org, and it works to um, support children who have survived sexual violence. Um, it works to heal them inside and out uh, through supportive services that they might not otherwise have access to. And it's become an incredibly powerful and meaningful organization in our community. Um, first of all, on its face, as it was started just as an organization, but particularly because of um, what went on at Michigan State University with um uh, the gymnastics uh, athletes and and spread throughout the country, obviously. Um, so the Firecracker Foundation is just an incredible organization, and I love to give them a shout out when I can. 
I hadn't heard of them. And I'm, I've just pulled up a, a browser tab. Um, and wow, uh, this is great. I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing their work with us. Yeah, so we're very you. fortunate to have them. They're, they're an amazing organization. Yeah. And thanks, folks, for, uh, for your support for, for those and, and for our podcast as well. Uh, so I have a, I have a little bit of a deep dive for us. Okay. Um, yeah. Do you want to try and take a guess or should I, should I just tell you what it is? Hmm. Boy. We had a lot of, yeah. I, the only one that stood out for me that I thought you might go for that was a triple stumper was, um, Sugarloaf Mountain. Mm, it is not Sugarloaf Mountain. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, in the architect's category at the $2,000 level, we had the clue, a palace that this architect built in the 1880s for his patron, Eusebi Guell, is a Barcelona landmark. And that one was a triple, triple stumper. Nobody attempted it. Uh, the correct response here is Anthony Gaudi. Um, and if you hear Barcelona architect, uh-huh. Gaudi is your guy. I thought I'd... um. Uh, look at his biography a little bit, share a little bit about that, um, and then highlight the, you know, a few of his um, famous works so that if this comes up in the future in trivia, you kind of know some of the keywords and a little bit of his story. Love it. Um, yeah. So, uh, Anthony Gaudí, uh, cor- I'm terrible with Spanish, e cornet. I'm going to go with that. Uh, was born on <laughs> June 25th, 1852. He lived until uh, June 10th, 1926. And he was a Catalan architect known as the greatest exponent of Catalan modernism. The town of his birth is debated. Um, he was born to uh, coppersmith Francesc Gaudí Isera and Antonia Cornetti Bertran. Um, and I hope I'm not doing terribly with the spanish pronunciation or catalan as the case may be there's a there are both here but also i don't i don't have a whole lot of uh background in spanish so um he was the youngest of five children of whom three survived to adulthood uh rosa and uh francesc were his uh were his surviving siblings um and then he was the youngest um he suffered from poor health uh, including rheumatism. Uh, his health concerns um, contributed to his decision to adopt vegetarianism early in his life. Um, he also was deeply religious. Uh, his uh, religious faith and his strict vegetarianism led him to undertake several lengthy and severe fasts and like dietary programs, um, which were pretty extreme and um, occasionally led to life-threatening illness for him. In 1868, he moved to Barcelona to study teaching in the Convent del Carme. And then uh, he was um, in uh, compulsory military service from 1875 to 1878. Um, But because of his poor health, a lot of his military service was spent on sick leave, which enabled him to continue his studies to an extent. His mother died in 1876 at the age of 57, as did his 25-year-old brother who had just completed his education as a physician. During this time, he studied architecture at the Yocha School and the Barcelona Higher School of Architecture, uh, graduating in 1878. He financed his studies by working as a draftsman for various architects. Um, in addition to his architecture classes, he studied French, history, economics, philosophy, and aesthetics. 
Oh, hey. Six. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, his grades were average. He failed some of his courses. And uh, the director of the school, when handing him his degree at graduation, said, we have given this academic title to either a fool or a genius. Time will show. Um, which I guess. Wow. It did. Yeah. <laughs> um, his style uh, immediately after uh, completing his education was like kind of a Victorian architectural style, um, but he quickly developed a somewhat different style with uh, unprecedented juxtapositions of geometric masses um, with surfaces of uh, patterned brick or stone, ceramic tiling, floral or reptilian metalwork. His, uh, his designs impressed an industrialist, industrialist by the name of Eusebi Guell, uh, as mentioned in the clue, um, who then commissioned several of Gaudi's most outstanding works um, over the course of his life. The Guell wine cellars, pavilions, the Guell Palace, uh, the Park Guell, and um, the Crypt of the Church of the Colonia Guell. That's a lot of commissioning. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's a lot. That's um, amazing. Yeah, yeah, they, they, he was a, uh, a major supporter over over decades. In 1883, Gaudi was put in charge of the recently initiated project to build a Barcelona church called the Basilica de la Sagrada Familia. Mm-hmm. It, there had been some initial designs, um, which Gaudi totally overhauled um, and brought his own style to it. From 1915 until his death, he devoted himself entirely to this project. Wow. And uh, it is it is still in progress, uh, not yet finished, but uh, I think they were aiming to be done with it by 2026 to um, to finish it uh, by the 100th anniversary of his death. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I I got a chance to visit it. Maybe oh gosh, what was it like seven or eight years ago? It is an incredible space. It is astounding. I bet. Um, yeah, as Gaudi's style evolved um he developed this like completely unique style that really defies classification creating structures known as equilibrated um that could stand a structure that could stand on its own without internal bracing external buttressing etc uh using columns that tilt something about diagonal thrusts i don't really understand the uh, like the architectural and like physics aspects of it <laughs> But it looks amazing. I was going to say, but it looks really um, yeah, cool. <laughs> it looks so cool. Yep. Um, you can see those equilibrated systems in the Casa Batlo and the Casa Mila, um, two of his uh, two of his famous um, apartment buildings that he's that he uh, created. Gaudi was uh, pious and increasingly so um, over the course of his life eventually abandoning all of his other work or passing it along to his, you know, to his team and his protégés um, to focus on uh, the Sagrada Familia. He, uh, he lived on site in its workshop. Um, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he died while still working on the Sagrada Familia um, on June 10th, 1926 in Barcelona um, after getting hit by a trolley car um, just a few weeks shy of his 74th birthday. How terrible. Yeah. So and the and the structure is still being uh, still being worked on to this day. Some of his most famous works, the Casa Vicens in Barcelona, 
which he worked on from 1877 to 1873, um, was a residence for the tile and brick manufacturer Manuel Vicens. Mm. Um, uh, because Vicens was in uh, tile and brick manufacturing, uh, Gaudi had a supply of those materials uh, ready. And, you know, it was, you know, the, the cost of that was not really a, you know, a, a problem. Um, and he was able to showcase those materials in a way that also sort of uh, was it was an advertisement for the you know the family business um, <laughs> using uh, what they call a neo mudehar uh, neo Moorish style um, referencing the Islamic architectural influences of medieval Spain mm. uh, Guel Palace uh, Palau Guel was the uh, was the subject of the missed Jeopardy clue which he worked on from 1886 to 1888 a mansion designed for uh, Isabi Guel with a a double arched entryway covered with dramatic looped vine-like ironwork. Uh, there's uh, references to the Catalan flag kind of within the, the design of the entryway. The interior design has this uh, central open space that functions as like a large reception hall with private spaces that kind of look into that central space. Uh, giving residents the opportunity to like glimpse guests discreetly before meeting them below. Uh, The reception hall is covered with a high uh, domed ceiling painted dark blue to resemble the night sky and Gaudi perforated it with holes so that lanterns could be hung above uh, with the glow kind of coming through to make it look like twinkling stars. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Uh, He worked on the Church of Colum... Colonia Guel, uh, which was like an industrial town that Eusebi Guel was was building, um, sort of just outside of Barcelona to like house his um, his company and and workers. That was sort of a drawn out project um, that eventually was passed on to Guel's sons and who uh, who eventually abandoned it. But working on the Working on the church gave Gaudi the opportunity to um, build some of the the skills and ideas that we then see come to fruition in Sagrada Familia. This was for this building. He um, sort of worked out his design using like a model of interlaced strings hung upside down to kind of figure out the parabolic structure mm. of the sanctuary space. Um, and that model is on display at the Sagrada Familia Museum. Casa Batlo, I think I mentioned. He worked on from 1904 to 1906. Um, it's unusual because it was the it was a renovation of a, an existing structure, originally built in 1877. Uh, the house's owner commissioned Gaudi, thinking that he would tear the building down um, and start anew. But Gaudi convinced him to renovate it instead. I have to say, oh, go ahead. If people aren't familiar with Gaudi. Literally, just go to Google and do an yeah, image search because like, yeah, it is. I mean, I can't really such describe a feast. Gaudi's work. It's so magical looking. So cool. Yeah. Probably, I, I imagine people have seen some of these images before. Right. But if you're if you're not familiar, like Google image it and like take a look. Yeah, Casa Batlo is is also known as the House of Bones because of the um like. Uh, framework over the windows with these kind of slender curves that are sort of like, like, like look sort of like bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, there's, there's a bunch of religious symbolism in it too, but I don't want to 
get too deep, deep into the weeds here. Uh, Park Guell is another one to know. Uh, the last project that uh, Gaudi and, and Eusebi Guell worked on together, um, it was a it was a speculative hillside suburban community to be located on Carmel Hill, this piece of uh, terrain that uh, Guell had brought had bought east of central Barcelona. And it's it's Gaudi's work kind of uh, envisioned on a whole landscape, you know, instead of like a, you know, a flat, you know, sort of uh, square of of ground that he's been assigned to within a city. It's it's a really cool place. It is unreal looking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, Sagrada Familia, uh, which which I mentioned and there's there's so much to cover about Sagrada Familia, so I'm not going to be able to get into all of it. When it is when it's finished, it's going to be the tallest church in the in the world. Oh wow! Yeah, Gaudi's design calls for nine, uh, 18 spires, representing the twelve apostles, the Virgin Mary, the four evangelists, and Jesus Christ. Uh, he had plans for. Three grand facades, the passion facade on the west, the glory facade on the south, and the nativity facade. I'm not sure which side. Oh, the nativity facades on the east, of course. And then the interior. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of language here, but it's like, it's like a, it's like a forest if a forest were a church. It's so I cool. love that. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's just unbelievable. It's just an incomparable visual experience, which I'm trying to capture here in a fully auditory medium. Uh, <laughs> but as you've been talking, I've been scrolling through the photos on Google Image, and it's it, it really brings it to life. It's so, so cool to see. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a little bit about Gaudi and his work. I love seeing him come up on Jeopardy um, because it reminds me of, you know, getting to see some of these places. Yeah. Um, and uh, just, just such a, such a unique vision. And yeah, it just, it just blows me away. Travel is a great way to get new trivia knowledge. Honestly, yeah, it's, a, for it's sure. a shorthand way to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I certainly um, handle trivia questions about, places I've actually been um, much better than, you know, things that I've learned off of a list or, you know, whatever. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, uh, I thought, you know, talk about Gaudi a little bit and, uh, and I, I guess, you know, everybody should, everybody should go look him up. Uh, if you, if you don't have those, um, those images in mind, um, yeah. you know, spend a little time. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that's pretty much um, what I've got. I was I was going to ask um, if you happened to know about a critter of which there is a a sculpture in Park Guell covered with like a multicolored mosaic. Uh, legend has it that this kind of creature is impervious to fire. Does that does that bring anything to mind? Well, because I was scrolling past pictures, I saw a lot of lizards. Mm-hmm. So is it a, is, is it something in the lizard family? It is something in <laughs> okay. the lizard family. Yeah. But not um, like a dragon. <laughs> it's not a dragon. They do call it Eldrak. It's a salamander. Okay. Um yeah. Uh there's there are there are these kind of uh old um beliefs that salamanders were uh were like fireproof lizards. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh so so yeah, the the um the salamander at Parkwell is uh Eldrak, they call it. Yeah. 
well, Robin, thank you so much. Emily, for, thank um, you for being here. We uh, it was it was such a delight to talk about Jeopardy with you. Um, I'm always kind of uh, in awe of the contestants that I really enjoy watching on the show. So and it's it's really, really fun to get to talk Jeopardy with you. So I appreciate it. I have enjoyed this so much, Emily. And and, and it's nice to be able to talk about it with people who have that much passion and, and drive and that you've actually built an entire podcast empire around it because of that. So <laughs> I appreciate what you and Kyle do. <laughs> there are dozens of us in yes. this empire. <laughs> um, well, uh, well, thank you. And thank you, listeners, um, for spending your time with us. Maybe Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, make sure to tell them about our podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.